0: Do you ever watch Chris Jones and when one thing pops into your head, that's it. That's all you've got there, and that's that, that one suggestion. Okay, so we are finishing off Timothy. And uh, Simon has reminded us, it's, it's a pastoral letter. It's a letter written in love to, from Paul to Timothy, someone that he loves. And it's easy to read books of the Bible, like their the essays or bits of homework that are kind of carefully thought through and constructed, they're not. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit, but they're written in conversation or as a letter and always written in love. So the first few verses of the passage are a kind of repeat of the theme in the first chapter about not getting distracted by controversy. So I've already spoken on that in this series, so we won't, we won't go back there. I'm going to focus on from sort of verse 6 to verse 20 and talk about money. Now, I don't know how you feel about talking about money. It's one of those things I think you're maybe not really supposed to talk about, it's not very polite to talk about money. I've never been very good at being polite, so I'll talk about it. It's one of those things that people don't feel comfortable talking about how much they earn, how much they owe, um, how much houses cost, but it's really important. At House of Bread particularly, that we meet lots of people, or I'm not volunteering there at the moment, but you meet lots of people who, who haven't talked about money who are getting letters through the door that they don't address. It's really important that as a community, we can talk about money. But it's also really important, if we're going to be serious about addressing injustice and about supporting people, that we don't just say nice things like, money doesn't matter, money doesn't make you happy. That's the sort of thing people often say when they have enough of it. I was brought up by two brummies and had lots of brummy sayings floating over my childhood, and one of them was "Money doesn't make you happy, but it will make you comfortable in your misery." And that's kind of stuck with me because, particularly for those of us who have enough money, we need to remember what money brings. Money brings comfort. Maybe that's physical comfort—a warm place to be. Maybe it. Um, shopping or entertainment. Money brings us comfort. It brings us convenience and choice. We get to choose what we buy, where we spend our money, where we live, what job we do. Money brings security. It means that we can live in safe houses. We can drive safe cars. And money brings power. We can see in some parts of the world what that looks like on a grand scale. But money also brings power to us. If you have money and you can choose to shop ethically, or you can choose to shop somewhere that is more convenient, you can choose to buy in bulk and save money later on, that money is bringing you power. And I'm not going to stand up here as someone who is bankrolled by her husband because Jono earns and I don't, who owns a house with substantial help from Britannia Building Society, I'm not going to stand here as someone who doesn't particularly worry about paying bills and tell you that money doesn't matter. I am in an immensely privileged position and so are many of us here. And when we preach that money doesn't make you happy, that is true, But we need to remember that money does bring important things like comfort and security and choice and power. And we must recognise that if we're going to be serious about addressing injustice. I have, these aren't out there stories, these aren't Nicky Cruz stories, these are stories of my friends. I have friends who are not able to leave somewhere they have traumatic memories of because they can't afford to. I have friends who have got divorced because they couldn't afford marriage counselling. I have friends that cannot afford the home improvements they need to make to cope with a disability. This is in Stafford. This is ordinary people. Money really matters. But the, the key verse here is verse 10. for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now I would never really describe myself as a lover of money. But if I'm honest, I would describe myself as a lover of comfort, of convenience, of choice, of security, of power. Even if that's the power to do good, the power to give, to support other people. So perhaps, as we're thinking this morning, we need to not think about whether we're a lover of money, but are we a lover of the things that money brings? And this letter, written in love, is an invitation to Timothy, a reminder, an encouragement, not to be a lover of money. It says in verse 11, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, which in the New Testament, the word that is translated as righteousness would normally be more accurately translated as justice. Pursue justice, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And throughout this passage, Paul is saying to Timothy, make a choice. Don't pursue money. Don't pursue the things that money brings. Flee. Run in the opposite direction towards God. And we have to choose. We are all moving through life. None of us stay still. Days and weeks and months tick by. We're all moving. Some of us, you might feel like life is going a million miles an hour. And for some of us, we feel like we are crawling. But we're moving. And each, each moment, each day, each week
1: when we sit down with our diary or our money,
0: we are making choices. And Paul is imploring Timothy, choose to move towards God. You cannot pursue, you cannot love both money and God. You have to choose. And then this, this kind of theme of choosing Presents itself in different pictures. Paul loves to mix up metaphors, um, so he sort of pursue, fight the good fight of faith, and then take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. So there's another picture: pursue. We move in one direction or the other, but then also take hold. That the Bible teaches that we have been offered this gift of eternal life. And that's not just about what happens after we die, but life that starts now. Um, it's described in verse 19 as life that is truly life. Um, John 10, Jesus describes it as life to the full. We are offered this gift of eternal life. But Jesus doesn't kind of ram it in our backpack like I do when the kids have forgotten their lunch and I just kind of shove it in and they don't even know it's there. It's offered to us. We have to take it. And that means that whatever else we're carrying, we need to choose to put it there so that we can reach out and take that gift. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. But we need to choose to take it. And then there's one more picture. Um, Verse 17, 18, 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain. Well, that really kind of rings true in our world at the moment. Wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And those verses remind us that we're not choosing between kind of joy in the world or misery in God. We're choosing between this life that looks like joy but is just numbing pain, that is just a temporary comfort, or this life with God that is rich and full. And He says, "Where are you going to invest? Where are you going to lay up treasure?" that we get to choose which bank account we put our actions in our choices our money our time where are we going to invest it are we going to invest it in the world in things that secure our own comfort convenience choice security and power or are we going to invest it in Jesus invest it in the kingdom of God and lay up for ourselves and for others um, this incredible picture of a kingdom that is rich with enjoyment and joy we have to make a choice and what I'd like to do is share a little bit of my story, I'm quite grateful that it's snowy and there aren't many people here because to be honest, this feels like quite a vulnerable thing to do so I'm just going to talk through a little bit of what this idea of choosing between money and Jesus has meant for me over the last few years. And then as we finish, we'll think about what that might mean for you. So many of you will know that I spent um, seven or eight years working at County Hospital as a pharmacist. Most of that time, I was two and a half days a week. But when people said to me, "Or well, what do you do? I'd say, I'm a pharmacist. I had that nice label. And through that time, I felt like, I kept wanting to kind of leave and do other things and God said, no, stay. And then I very clearly felt like God was saying, no, it's time, it's time to move on and do something else. And we weren't worried about money because um, it just kind of was, was working out that we, we'd be able to survive off one salary. Um, we'd been much more broke before, so we knew that we could live like that again. Um, and that God kept reassuring us, providing. There was a time when I felt God said that we should put our youngest into a day extra of childcare that at that point we couldn't afford. And just the month when that happened, John had got a pay rise that to within £10 covered the money that we needed. God kept providing. I was never worried about the money. It was never about spending the money. But what I realised, is that what mattered to me was not the money in my account that I could spend, but this cultural view that you are what you earn, that your value is in your earning potential. And it is a lie but that is deeply embedded in our culture and that I had um, internalised, that I got embedded within me. And as I started to see I started to notice all the way that we are subtly told all the time, you are what you earn. We talk about what taxpayers think about something. Not citizens. Taxpayers. You're only allowed to care about the choices the government makes if you contribute. In the last week, the government announced that our university ranking system will be based partly on how much its graduates earn. That's what we value as a society. It's not about the government. This is us as a society. We value what people earn. When people talk about retiring, they sometimes talk about, oh, I've earned this time. I'm allowed to have a peaceful, restful older years because I've earned the right to it. In lots of little ways, dripping in all the time is that you are what you earn. Even in Christian events, it's really rare to hear from someone who isn't paid to do their ministry. That what we value, the stories we hear, are about who. You are what you earn. And that was what challenged me, not the money that I was earning and whether I could spend that. But if I wasn't earning money, if I was basically living a life of intentional kindness in my community, does that that matter if no one was paying me? If no one was ticking into my bank at the end of the month to say, yeah, we saw what you did and we noticed it, did it still matter? Or was it still seen? And then there's the temptation to kind of go the other way to kind of earn your right by, you know, working really hard or volunteering. But it still doesn't fill that gap. Because actually what I realised I needed to choose was between this world... Hi, Isaac. Hi. There he is. We have to choose between this world, where you are, what you earn... Or God's kingdom, where you are valuable just because you're a son and daughter, just because you exist, not because of what you might contribute, although God does love it when we're a part of his work. But that's not where our value is. Joe didn't just pick up Isaac because of his future earning potential. It's because of his son, because he's loved. And that was the challenge to me was to learn, and it wasn't to learn the facts. I knew the facts, but I didn't, I didn't really understand it for me. That in God's kingdom, the rules are different. We're loved because we're loved because we're loved. We're valued because we're valued because we're valued. That what we earn doesn't matter, that that is not a stamp of approval. That we do not, and this was revelatory to me, need to hand in our CV when we get to heaven for that to be assessed. We're loved. And for me, that looked like lots of little decisions about what I might pursue, about how I might spend my time, about what I might leave space for. That if I really believed that prayer changes things, then am I going to set aside time to pray rather than use that time trying to earn money? It really challenged me and it continues to change me and I don't want to pretend that this is like a one thing that I realised and I changed. This was hundreds of conversations and prayers and little steps. And I don't by any means think that the message of this passage is that everybody should quit their jobs and not earn money because you are just who you are and your values. That was a lesson I needed to learn perhaps part of God providing through what Jono was earning was so that I could earn that message. So the question for each of us is which kingdom do we want to serve? Do we want to serve this world that says you're valued in as much as you contribute? Or do we want to serve God's kingdom where you're valued just because you are? And it might be that my story resonates with you or it might be that it doesn't at all and it's some of those other things that we've talked about that that want the comfort that money brings or the security or the power. And I think especially for us, it's that power to do good that we sometimes want money for. The power to give. But which kingdom are we going to serve? What might it look like for you to take hold of that gift that God's offering you? What might you need to put down? And certainly my lived experience and my experience that I see in, in almost every Bible story is that those moments like Nicky Cruz had of kind of complete life change, turning around are quite rare. They do happen but even for Nicky Cruz there would have been lots Lots of different decisions. Lots of steps where he had to keep choosing that path. So for us, what might that first step look like this week? In walking towards Jesus and away from the kingdom of this world that sometimes looks safe, but it's full of lies. It's full of things that are trying actively to draw you away from Jesus. What might that step look like? Perhaps it looks like you've been battling with something secret and the first step is just for you to share it with someone, that you're wrestling with something. An addiction or debt or whatever it is and that you just mention it to someone here. That you don't have to carry that on your own and we as a community can help you to put that down. Perhaps God's whispering to you, drawing you to himself, saying, I've got plans for you. I want you to take this step. But it seems too big or too much. But God's calling you to something. Maybe the first step again is to share that with someone else. Paul makes reference to Timothy making a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We are part of a wonderful community here. If God's whispering to you and calling you on, share that with someone and this call towards Jesus is not a call towards church or church writers, but that is an expression of it. So maybe that step towards Jesus looks like stopping something you're doing here. Or maybe it looks like starting something here, stepping up. What is Jesus saying to you? We're not doing this on our own. We are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. God Grows his kingdom through communities, through churches. But we do need to make a choice. I'm gonna pray to place. More than anything else, Father, I want to say thank you. Thank you, because your kingdom is full of truth and real joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness. Thank you that we won't regret ever a step towards you and that you call us because you love us. Help us to have the insight to listen to your Holy Spirit to know what steps you might be asking us to take. And through your Holy Spirit, through your living church, give us the courage to take those first steps. Amen.